The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Ecclesia, would you help me thank Paul and the band for leading us? Um, as we enter into this time um, of opening the scriptures together, would you, uh, would you let me pray for you? Creator God, we're grateful to be in this space and be reminded of your presence with us as you walk with us and lead us. And Lord, we know um, that life has its own challenges and circumstances that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. And so we rejoice that in the middle of all of those, regardless of how we arrive here tonight, what we're struggling with, that you are with us, that you have promised to be with us and that you walk alongside of us. And we would ask God that you continue day by day to give us eyes to see and ears to hear your presence and your life. And God, every breath we draw is a gift from you. And Lord, would you give us the kind of attention to the way you see us, that we walk through this earth with a confidence that is not born of arrogance, but is born out of your deep love for us and all of your creation. And Lord, Toward that end, I ask that you pour through me the gift of teaching, that everything said here be from you and because of you and guiding us towards you as we partner with you to bring about your preferred future for all of creation. We ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if if you are like a normal person, I would bet that already today, maybe most of the day, that you have consumed culture. Like you've read, a t- you've read a book, you've watched a TV show, maybe you saw a movie, maybe you went to a museum, you listened to music, maybe on your way here. Um, we are always, human beings are always in the middle of consuming the culture that's made for us. Uh, so at my house, we have my two daughters and my wife's 20-year-old cousin who lives with us. So basically, Um, I live in a house with my wife and three teenage girls. And when you live in a house with three teenage girls, something is always on. There's always music playing. The television's always on. uh, They are on their phones, on iPads, on computers all the time. They are always consuming culture. And they do this weird thing where the three of them, I will walk into the kitchen and they will all be sitting at the kitchen table, all looking down at their phones, all reading BuzzFeed articles. And they know everything about every celebrity anywhere. And whenever anything happens that's of interesting, like some of them will look at the other and go, ooh, now that's the real tea. And I have no idea what that means. And they know who all the celebrities are, what's happening with Beyonce. Apparently, at some point, this guy named Joe Jonas married above his station. I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) But that's what they're always doing. And that's what we're always doing. And so one of the things that we're gonna do this summer, Ecclesia, is that we're going to look at the culture that we're in. And not necessarily like in a critical way, or a culture is bad and Christians are good sort of way, but just accepting as a reality that at every minute of the day, that we are consuming something. 
So when I started in ministry, I was a youth pastor. And most of our youth group, when I was in South Texas, about 95% of our youth group were girls. And they were just eat up with this thing called the Backstreet Boys. And the Backstreet Boys, woo? They're coming next month. You can get tickets still. And like the Backstreet Boys had this song, um, As Long As You Love Me. And like, these are the legit lyrics. I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, really? You don't care who I am, where I'm from, what, rapist, drug addict, crackhead? You just don't care? Because culture is always talking to us, always saying something. So as a matter of fact, one of the things that we're going to do later this summer is that Greg Garrett and I are hosting over at our West campus um, a race, film, and reconciliation event. It's two days. It's the first weekend in August. Starting sometime next week, you'll be able to um, register for that and to buy tickets for that. And so we're going to look at certain movies and talk about their implications. So we're going to watch Black Panther together and Black Klansmen and Get Out. And so it'll be really fun. All fun for the whole family. So you can just bring the little kids to watch Get Out. Because culture is always speaking. And very much like what Gideon said last week, like the artist is always saying something. Like there's always a point. And so tonight, um, I want to talk with you about one of your favorite artists, Taylor Swift. And I know that some of you think you don't like Taylor Swift, and I also know you're lying. <laughs> you say that to your friends to look cool and hipster, and you know when Taylor comes on the radio and you're in the car by yourself, you know exactly what you're doing, and I know exactly what you're doing. You're not fooling anybody. Because a couple of years ago, I did a series of talks called The Gospel According to Taylor Swift, and it was legitimately the most popular thing I have ever done in my life. Like churches from all over the country were calling to talk with me about gospel according to Taylor Swift and pastors who are like really too cool and hipster. They were like, do you, would you come to our church and do the gospel according to Taylor Swift? And they would always whisper it like, is there a... And I know for a lot of us, you think of someone like Taylor Swift, you think that is like ideal for teenage girls. Well, you need to know something. I have teenage girls. But it's not just for teenage girls, because 34 million albums weren't just bought by teenage girls. And the reason that people like Taylor Swift, the reason that she's so popular, um, is that she is extraordinarily open about her relationships. The good ones, the bad ones, why they fall apart, not just dating relationships, but friendships. And what you have and what I have, what our lives are filled with, the thing that we would say is most important to us, are our relationships. That's why people listen to her. And you may like Taylor Swift. You may not like Taylor Swift. You may say that you don't like Taylor Swift and you really do like Taylor Swift, 
But there was a time several years ago when I had the sole responsibility every day I would drive my girls to school and I would pick them up from school. And my oldest daughter, Malia, would get to be the DJ because she was the only one of the two of them who was old enough to sit in the front seat. And in the first two songs, the first two songs, one of them was always a Taylor Swift song. And so every day on the way to school, on the way home from school, I got to hear Taylor Swift. And I want to tell you the truth. I didn't hate it. And I'd be lying if I said, look, over time, some of the lyrics sort of just kind of seeped into my bones. And because my daughters listen to so much Taylor Swift all the time, I'm not going to say that in that time I became a Taylor Swift fan, but I'm not going to say that I didn't. So if you're not familiar with Taylor Swift, she has a series of relationships that she is very public about. And what she does is whatever's going on in her life, she does what most songwriters do. She writes songs about them. And invariably, she takes on a lot of heat, a lot of criticism for people, and she writes about that too. So several years ago, she released an album called 1989. It was the year of her birth. And the first single off that album was this song, Shake It Off. Now, I know some of y'all just want to play that whole thing. So I had this experience, um, and it used to happen a lot more often than it does now. Um, for some reason, over the course of the last, I don't know, seven to 10 years, and this really isn't a, a brag at all, it's just kind of a reality, that God's used my life in a certain way where it just turns out that I know more people, I mean, more people know me than I know. And so because I write and speak and I write articles for different publications, like what's, what's happened is there are people who have an idea who I am and I have no clue who they are. And invariably when that becomes part of your life, there will be people who really like you and there will be people who really don't like you. And so what I've learned is that if that's gonna be part of your life, part of my life, that what comes with all of that is just a certain level of criticism. That there will be people who don't like you, don't like what you do, don't like anything about you, and they will criticize you. So I have been called online everything from mistaken, to a false teacher, to arrogant, to stupid, to deluded. And some of those are just my friends. <laughs> There's one guy responded to something I, I wrote and he just posted on my Facebook wall, he says, why do you hate the church? Which my children absolutely love because every time I say anything that they don't wanna hear, they just look at me and go, dad, why do you hate the church? <laughs> And there's another guy who didn't like an article that I wrote. And so he wrote a response and then he posted on my wall and then everybody who shared that article that he could find, he just copied and pasted the same thing over and over and over again. I wrote my first article maybe six years ago 
for foxnews.com, and the editor of foxnews.com told me the night before, we were talking on the phone, and she says, your article's gonna go live tomorrow, this is where you can find it, I'm gonna send you the link and all of this. She said, I just wanna tell you something that I tell all of my authors who write on our platform. Don't read the comments. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty wise counsel, so I called my parents, I talked to my mom, I talked to my dad, I said, the article's gonna go up, you can see it tomorrow. Um, don't read the comments. My mom didn't, my dad did. And then he decided to call me to tell me what all the comments were. And that's not just me. Like no one makes it through life without being criticized, without people, sometimes people you know, sometimes people you've never met and never will meet, criticize you, judge you, make comments about you, about what you think or who you are or how you look, that we live in this culture now. Um, because everyone can express an opinion, everyone feels like they should express an opinion. Maybe you know someone who's just sort of passive-aggressive, and that's how they criticize. Like you've got people in your life who know how to find the cloud in every silver lining, and there are people who see criticism and judgment as like their spiritual gift that they want to share with the world. <laughs> And so one of the questions for your life to flourish, for you to get the most out of your life, one of the questions that we have to wrestle with is how do you handle criticism? What do you do when you are criticized, when you feel criticized, when you feel diminished by someone or a group of someone's? Well, there's this fascinating little story tucked toward the end of the book of Acts and it's one of those stories that we don't spend a whole lot of time on because it seems like the kind of story that you find or you read like on the way to the real story, to a more important story. But Luke, who wrote, wrote Acts, tells us the story for a reason. And it comes along almost as incidental, but it's incredible once you see what's happening in the story. And so starting in chapter 28, verse 1, we, this is Luke and Paul, quickly learned that we were on the island of Malta. The Maltese people found us and were extraordinarily kind to us. They kindled a bonfire and welcomed us around it, which we greatly appreciated because it was raining and cold. Paul was gathering firewood and helping. Are we at early? I think that's later. Nope, just rainy and cold. Clearly, we won't use this one for the podcast. So here's what's happened in Acts 28. Um, you, can, you can take that down. Here's what's happened. Um, Luke and Paul have been shipwrecked. And they are prisoners. And there's a storm at sea and their, their ship hits a reef and it runs aground. And they are stranded on the island of Malta. And Malta has these Phoenician roots, this place has Phoenician roots, and Phoenicia had this history of not being very kind, not very, being very good to foreigners. And so Luke tells us that even though that they were in this place, 
the Phoenicians, the, the Maltese, they built them a fire to take care of them. Now, the Maltese can see that Paul is a prisoner. And I want you to remember that. Because in this story, if you forget that Paul's a prisoner, um, it won't make sense. You have to remember that Paul is a prisoner and that they know he was a prisoner. And so they build a bonfire for the shipwrecks. Picking up then in verse 3. Paul was gathering firewood and helping build the fire. A viper had been hiding in some of the wood, and as it tried to escape the heat, it bit Paul on the hand. It sank its fangs in and wouldn't let go. The natives saw it dangling from his hand. This man must be a murderer, they say. He escaped the sea, but now justice has caught up with him. So here's what's happening. That Paul's helping build the fire. He picks up a stick, and he's bitten by a viper. And the Maltese immediately think, oh, that's why he's a prisoner. The gods are trying to kill him. That's why their ship ran aground. That's why it was shipwrecked. But it didn't kill him. And the gods will not be mocked. So now there's this viper. And this viper bites him. And so now he'll surely die. Then it picks up in verse 5. Paul simply shook the snake off and into the fire and suffered no harm. The natives knew what to expect, rapid swelling followed by death. But when they waited a long time and saw that Paul suffered no ill effects of the bite, they changed their minds and concluded that he was a god. Okay, so here is what so often happens with judgment and criticism. People who don't know you people who encounter you at one season of your life. They have one impression of you. They have one interaction with you. Base their entire opinion of you on that one interaction. Or maybe you're a student and you have worked, you have studied, for a long time, and it all comes down to this one test. Or, or you've gone to school and you've gotten all the certification that you need and it's time to go get a job, and it all comes down to this one interview. And what happens is based on that one interaction, people make a snap judgment. And we'll call it other things. We'll call it going with our gut. But it's really just a lack of information. We live in a world that loves snap judgments. And that's why we are in a culture of blame and criticism. That's why when you look around, well, what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with the culture, what's wrong with your country, what's wrong with your family, it's always somebody else's fault. And it's not just other people all the time either. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're the one basing our entire interpretation, our entire opinion of who someone else is, what someone else is worth, based on this one sliver of experience that we had when we encountered them. And we live 
in a world of blame? Because of snap judgments. And here's the problem with snap judgments. They're almost always wrong. And even though they are almost always wrong, humans have the capacity to be so prideful that we would rather stick with our initial judgment than to consider new information. When Paul shows up and he's bitten by a snake after suffering a shipwreck, the Maltese look at him and they say, he must be a murderer. They haven't talked to Paul. They don't know why he's a prisoner. They're they're just adding up their own world. He must be a murderer. But when the viper bites him and time passes and he doesn't die, what do they say then? He must be a god. And there will be people in your life who, based on when they encounter you, they will think of you the worst thing possible. And there will be other people who, because of when they encounter you, will think that you are capable of the impossible. And because you are a loving, caring, sensitive person, you will overrate their experience of you. And some of us have been listening to the same criticism, the same judgment from the same people for so long that we have started to believe that it's true. But when I look at this story, everyone else is doing the action. The Maltese are doing the action. The Viper's doing action. And Paul's not doing anything. He doesn't even say anything. When the snake bites him, this is Paul's response. He literally, and I wish I was stretching to say this, shakes it off. (laughs) And that's the same thing that he does with the Maltese's suggestion that he's a murderer and their equally invalid belief that he's a god, Paul never addresses any of it. He doesn't let their opinion of him shape his opinion of him. And this is what you have to know. Most of the things people say about you have nothing to do with you. One of my favorite books um, is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, and this is what he says. He says, don't take anything personally. That's one of the four agreements. Don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless 
suffering. And I'm not saying that you're perfect, that you've never done anything wrong, because one of the great gifts that we can give one another is accountability, that someone can come alongside of you and say, I don't believe that uh, what you're doing or what you're saying, how you're acting, lines up with who you say that you want to be. That's one of the great gifts that we give to one another in community. But that's the great news about criticism. The great news about criticism is that it allows us to do things, two, two things. Criticism allows us to learn from our critics. It also allows us to care less what people say. So several years ago, one of my friends was at a conference with me, and, and we were talking about some things going on, and he asked me, he said, well, Sean, how... How do you deal with all of the criticism? What do you do about your critics? And the first thing I told him was that sometimes they're right. Like, I'm not a god. I can't possibly be right about everything all the time. Sometimes they're right, and I need to listen to that. And there are other times or I've just learned to not care because I am not a God, but I'm not a murderer either. And there are very few people for me and for you who are trustworthy and loving enough, who are close enough to you to hold you accountable in ways that will grow you. But there are plenty of people who aren't trustworthy and who don't know you, who just like to criticize. Criticism points us in the direction of the places, the spaces, the aspects of our life where we need to grow. But it also indicates to us the places in our lives we need to let go. So about 15 years ago, I was talking with my friend Brian, and at the time, Brian had planted a church and had gotten some recognition for some books that he had written and some work that he had done, and he was profiled in Time Magazine as one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. Well, not everything that Brian said and did, like, went over well with people, and so he had a lot of criticism and critics, and so we were sitting at dinner one night talking about criticism, and he shared with me a prayer from a Serbian bishop named Nikolai, who spoke out against the Nazis. And ever since that time, I've kept that prayer pretty close to me. And this is it. This is what Bishop Nikolai says. He says, bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Enemies have driven me into your embrace more than friends have. Friends have bound me to earth. Enemies have loosed me from earth and have demolished all my aspirations in the world. Enemies have made me a stranger in worldly realms and extraneous inhabitant of the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safer shelter than an unhunted animal does, so I have persecuted by enemies found the safest sanctuary, having esconded myself beneath your tabernacle where neither friend nor enemies can slay my soul. 
Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless and do not curse them. They rather than I have confessed my sins before the world. They have punished me whenever I have hesitated to punish myself. They have tormented me whenever I have tried to flee torments. They have scolded me whenever I have flattered myself. They have spat upon me whenever I have filled myself with arrogance. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless and do not curse them. Whenever I made myself wise, they have called me foolish. Whenever I have made myself mighty, they have mocked me as though I were a fly. Whenever I have wanted to lead people, they have shoved me into the background. Whenever I have rushed to enrich myself, they have prevented me with an iron hand. Whenever I thought that I would sleep peacefully, they have wakened me from my sleep. Whenever I have tried to build a home for a long and tranquil life, they have demolished it and driven me out. Truly, enemies have cut me loose from the world and have stretched out my hands to the hem of your garment. Bless my enemies, O Lord. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Bless them and multiply them. Multiply them and make them even more bitterly against me so that my fleeing will have no return, so that all my hope in men may be scattered like cobwebs, so that absolute serenity may begin to reign in my soul, so that my heart may become the grave of my two twin my two evil twins, arrogance and anger, so that I might amass all my treasure in heaven. Ah, so that I may for once be freed from self-deception, which has entangled me in the dreadful web of illusory life. Enemies have taught me to know what hardly anyone knows, that a person has no enemies in the world except himself. One hates his enemies only when he fails to realize that they are not enemies but cruel friends. It is truly difficult for me to say who has done more good and who has done me more evil in the world, friends or enemies. Therefore, bless, O Lord, both my friends and my enemies. A slave curses enemies, for he does not understand, but a son blesses them, for he understands. The truth of your life will be how it feels, how you flourish, will largely depend on how you handle criticism because you will never escape criticism. And it can do two things. It can drive you into a place of despair and hurt and anger? Or as Bishop Nikolai suggests, it can drive you to the arms of God, to the realization that the only thing that matters about you is that you are a beloved son or a beloved daughter of God. And he cares for you enough, loves you enough, that he would do anything to spend eternity with you. And so my prayer is that in those moments, whether the criticism is near or far, that in those moments of criticism, 
that you would remember the words of the Apostle Paul, who says of all of those who follow Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is only one voice in all of our culture that will speak the truth to you and is the voice of God saying to you, I am your father who loves you and here you will not be criticized. Let me pray for you. God, let us become the kind of people who, like Paul and like Jesus, when they are faced with a world of criticism and judgment, continue to move forward, doing the good that you have created them to do, created us to do. And then in times when we feel broken and in moments of despair, that your presence would remind us of your deep and abiding love for us that gives us new life and new hope. Regardless, God, of what we've done, that you say you love us. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.